You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. At some point in your life, um, there are things that your parents say that you start to say and think, I will never say that. Um, There's a list. Uh, And even if you're just subconsciously making it out, you just determine, I am, that's never going to come out of my mouth. Um, you know, one that probably spans the, the generations and cultures is don't make me pull this car over. Don't make me pull this car over. I remember I used to think I would really love to say, you know, if I had the power to make you pull this car over, do you not think I would use that same power to keep you from punishing me? Um, that never actually came out of my mouth, which is probably why I'm still standing here today. Um, uh, and then there's, and this may just be a Mayfield classic, I don't know, uh, and this was my mother. Um, she's not here in this service, is she? No. Uh, do you think I'm talking to hear my head rattle? Like, I don't really even know what that means. Uh, but th- then there is, and this one, I, this is all of us as parents. You look your child in the face and say, how many times am I going to have to say this? How many times am I going to have to repeat myself? Um, you could get the idea, possibly, that we don't really like repeating ourselves. You, you might get that idea if you listened in on enough of our conversations. Well, Apparently, this did not bother the Apostle Paul that much. Because Paul, throughout his letters, very, very intentionally and purposefully repeated himself. This morning, we're going to wrap up Paul's letter to Titus. And Paul begins the third chapter of this letter, which is the beginning of the conclusion. It's the beginning of the end. Paul begins it with the words, remind them. Now he began chapter two, the section of the letter before this with teach them, teach them sound doctrine. But now he begins with remind them. So what does this imply or mean? It means that Paul has already taught them this already. Paul is, he's repeating himself. Paul's telling Titus to go over with the people there in Crete, with the church, things that they've already learned. These would be what Paul would consider fundamentals. Now, here's why this is of significance to us. Not only because of what Paul says, but because our culture that you and I live in is really bored with fundamentals. We get very bored very quickly with what we consider to be elementary. Hey, we know those things. Teach us something fancier. We want to go deeper. Let me give you an example. And this is an elementary example. It's an example nonetheless. If you have a boy in your home, specifically maybe 9, 10 to 15, 16, and that boy has any interest whatsoever in football, then you will know that boys today have absolutely no interest whatsoever in learning to fundamentally catch a football. 
There's a process that you learn how to fundamentally catch football. They don't care about that. You know why? They want to Odell it. See, some of you right now are like, what are you talking about? You don't have a boy in your home. Odell Beckham played for LSU and now plays for the New York Giants. And Odell has kind of gained this reputation of making these like one-handed catches. And I got to be honest with you, like there's some pretty amazing catches he makes over the head, around the back, through the legs. However, none of these boys give consideration to the fact that Odell is wearing these gloves that I promise you, you could catch a grease watermelon with. I mean, these are catches that Kellen Winslow and John Stallworth were making 30 years ago. But boys want to Odell it. I mean, I listened to them. He Odelled it. I'm like, just stop. You're, you're making my ears hurt. Fundamentals are to build on. They're not to throw out and abandon. Another example, and you had to know I was going to get to this, baseball. It doesn't matter what level with which you're playing baseball, if you're playing eight-year-old prep ball, if you're playing middle school ball, or you're in the major leagues, you just keep going over the fundamentals. That's how baseball works. They don't go to practice. You, you, if you went and spied on the Cincinnati Reds practice, there wouldn't be like a 30-minute session for diving catches. They don't do that. They field, they throw, they hit, and they run. Paul is writing Titus and saying, I taught you these things, and I'm now reminding of you these things because they are of foundational and utmost importance. Want something fancier or deeper? Sorry, there isn't anything fancier or deeper. So this morning, as we close out Paul's letter to Titus, um, in the Preaching the Word commentary series, um, the commentary on Titus, Brian Chapel, the author identifies three priorities that Paul gives to Titus to pass on to the church. And over the last couple of weeks, as I've read over them over and over and over, I think that he's spot on. And so I've taken them and reworked them, and we're going to look at them this morning. Um, Paul's exhortation to God's people is this, remember your obligations, recall your past, and demonstrate your hope. If you will join me in Titus chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
These things are excellent and profitable for people. So Paul begins by saying, remember your obligations. And he directs this in two different directions. First of all, remember your obligations toward rulers and authorities. Friends, we have to have a proper um, submission to all authority in our life for multiple reasons. One reason that Paul implies here is, Paul didn't want the gospel to be first identified with political arguments and agitation. And therefore, because of that, be thought of as just another counter-political movement, which could very much have been the case. You remember in the, this part of the world, at this, in this day and time, Rome ruled everything. Rome had its hand and its thumb on everything. And they weren't big, big fans of Christians. So these, these early Christians could have been in a place of really wanting to push back against the authorities, all right? And what Paul's implying here is, is that when the church begins to be viewed as more political than spiritual, this is not a good thing. It's distracting from the gospel. However, we as believers need to submit to the authorities. You may want to write this down, but if you want to further learn about this, read Romans 13, read 1 Peter 2, watch how they marry one another and help us understand what God's view is of how we are to act civically uh, in the place where we live. Okay, the Lord is over all authority, no exception. Paul also wants us to have this submission to authorities because the gospel, and please hear this, the gospel won't progress if God's people only honor authority that we find agreeable. And let's just admit, we have an issue with this. In our country, we watch this cycle every four to eight years, don't we? 50% of the country loses in their mind and then spends the next four or eight years railing against everything. And so you, you're either doing it now or you were doing it like, you know, a few years ago. So don't sit here this morning and go, not me. You know, we're all there. But it's not just about politics either. If you look in the very end of chapter 2, we didn't hit this last week, but Paul, Paul concludes that section by saying this to Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul, and moreover the Lord, has placed responsibility on pastors and elders to exhort and rebuke to admonish, to encourage, but to exhort and rebuke, to exercise what we would call spiritual authority. Now, let me tell you this. I could share with you of multiple occasions over the last several years where we, the pastors and elders of this church, lovingly, biblically, but very boldly and plainly had to go to someone and exhort or rebuke them whether it was because of persisting in sin or whatever the case may have been. 
almost every time. You want to know the result? That person's not here anymore. Why? Because we will agree with authority that we agree with. We will submit to authority that we agree with. But when there's pushback, I don't want any part of that. But you know what? Paul says that's not how it works. God has placed authority in our lives of all sorts for us to honor, respect, and submit to. Now, disclaimer, um, if your government, if your employer, if your pastors, for crying out loud, ask you to do something that goes directly against the word of God, all bets are off. That's not what Paul's talking about, though. (laughs) So let's just be clear there. Okay? So Paul says, remember your obligations toward the rulers and authorities. But then he shifts and says, also remember the obligations in your life toward all relationships. In in verse 2, he says, speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul says that there is high, high value on how we treat, respect, and love other people. Friends, you know this. I know this. The world knows what fighting, backstabbing, and quarreling looks like. They know it full well. That is not shocking at all. The world doesn't need any more of that. What shocks the world and really, really shocks the world is selfless love and unmerited forgiveness. That's something that our flesh can't wrap its head around. But you know what? That's our standard. Paul says, speak evil of no one. There's a TV show on. These five ladies sit around this table talking, you know, and once every few weeks I see something online about how they said something and everybody's coming unglued and and yeah, I mean, they say some pretty preposterous things. But you know what? I have sat in a restaurant at 6.30 in the morning with my back up to a booth filled with senior adult Christian men drinking their coffee, talking just as vitriolic as those five women on TV. And Paul says, speak evil of no one, no one. And he doesn't mince words about it. Then he goes on and he basically says, show gentleness and kindness toward all people. Paul's not playing around here. (coughs) He's being very, very forthright that our lives and our attitude and our approach to everyone is going to radically change as a Christ follower. And we hear this and subconsciously we go, this is way harder than it sounds, Paul. You know, are you crazy? You're going to need to give us some help with this. How do we make this happen? Well, thankfully, good news here, Paul is going to give us priority two to help us with priority one. Priority one is remember your obligations toward the rulers and authority in your life and in fact toward all people. Well, now Paul says, here's one thing that you can do to help you with that. 
recall your past. Recall your past. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul, you know what Paul says to you and me? Paul says that every single one of us, we were all ignorant wanderers and malicious haters. All of us. We were all ignorant wanderers and malicious haters. Whenever you see that phrase, haters gonna hate, you can go, yep, that was me once. We were all there. The further removed that we are from the point where we recognized Jesus Christ, what he has done for me, and we came to this place of salvation and, and, and understanding and receiving God's grace, the further removed that we become from that point, most times the more we need reminding of who and where we once were. I know that I do because I forget. Um, I need to somehow remember that I was once exactly who Paul describes here. Friends, I won't go into detail with you this morning, but I'll just let you know that I was a thoughtless, lazy, addicted, self-centered, disobedient, rebellious 16-year-old. And if my mom was here this morning and I said, you know, I probably made my parents' life a living Hades. She'd argue because she loves me, but I did. I was an ignorant wanderer, and so were you. A few thousand years ago, Isaiah told us so. Look with me, Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah prophesying of what Christ would do on our behalf because every single one of us would go astray. I was an ignorant wanderer. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me. I guarantee you, I was a malicious hater. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. But make sure you don't misread what Paul says here. Paul didn't say that you and I were once in darkness, or we were being affected by darkness, or we were near the darkness. You were darkness. That was you. That was me. Hater. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And Paul begins to list all of these sins that 
keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God that have separated us from him. And then verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. Friends, you and I need to remember where we once were, who we once were. And it will give us a different view of those in front of us and around us who they're still where we were. Paul says, that was you, Ephesians 5, 8, but not any longer. Something's changed. You know what's changed is Paul tells us in Titus 2.11, and he tells us here again in verse 4, what changed is that the goodness and loving kindness and the grace of God has appeared. And as a result, remember where and who you are now and why and how you got there. Remember where you are and who you are now and how it is that you got there. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. Jesus pursued me, saved me, brought me back to the Father so that so that I could become an heir according to the hope of eternal life. Jesus Christ has given me hope. And Paul says to the Christians in Crete and to Titus and to you and me, Therefore, demonstrate your hope. Put it on full display. You didn't go looking for God. He pursued you. The grace and mercy and loving kindness of God appeared. He saved us, not because of my works, not because of my righteousness. No, he pursued me, saved me, justified me by his grace so that I might know the hope of eternal life and that it might be manifested or lived out through me. And so now I understand that while my hope is in the invisible, my hope itself should be clearly visible to the rest of the world. Yes, my hope is in what's unseen, but the hope that I have, it ought to be clearly seen in and through my life. So friends like Paul writing to Titus, I'm here today to remind you, remember your obligations to the rulers and the authorities that God has placed in and over our lives. Not just the ones that we love and agree with. Remember the obligations in your life toward the people around you who, yes, are wandering around aimlessly, many of them, like sheep that have gone astray, which is just what you and I were. Recall your past. Now, notice I didn't say live in your past. 
drowned in your past. The enemy loves to show up with guilt. See, if you start recalling your past and then you wind up feeling chained to it again, like, oh my gosh, I can never get past this. Um, I, I just, I'm so unworthy. What have I done? And yeah, that was like 35 years ago. That could be the enemy. Because the Lord says, I want you to remember who you were and where I found you, but I want you to remember that so that you remember what I have done in you, what I have done through you. Recall your past, demonstrate your hope. I want to ask you this morning, and in just a moment, we're going to spend a few moments praying together. But I want to ask you this morning to prayerfully consider if you need to repent of authority issues today on any level. And I'm not going to sit here and just toss out analogies or possibilities. The Holy Spirit's way better than me. Do you have authority issues? Do you need to ask the Lord to help you recall your past so that you might be even more refreshed by his grace? That's what gets me, is that God so loved me in spite of those things, that in the midst of those things, saved me. Do you need to ask the Lord to renew your vision so that you might walk intentionally in the hope of eternal life? That you and I might devote ourselves to good works because remember here what Paul says. He shares, this is who we are. This is where we were. But Jesus, not because of anything we've done, has saved us, washed us, purified us, renewed us. And Paul says, this saying, everything that I have said to you is trustworthy and it's sure. And because of this, I want to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And for the umpteenth time, I'm going to repeat myself It's not so that those works will save us. It's because they could never save us and God's grace has saved us. And so now as a result, we cannot help but live our lives for him through the power of the spirit, through the power of his word. Jesus Christ has saved me, washed me, is renewing me and giving me hope. But so now here's the question. Does the rest of the world know this? Does the rest of the world know this? Does the police officer that pulled you over know this? Somebody right now in the room is going, how did he know that happened this week? It's a good possibility. You ever notice when stuff like that happens, we turn into somebody weird? How about the referee or the umpire at your kid's game? My dad, the minister. One time, ref stopped a soccer game, walked over to the coach, and basically said, that guy's leaving or the game's over. That was the beginning of a, a bit of a repenting process in my father's life, as you can imagine. 
How about the customer service rep on the phone? Those poor people. And I'm not talking about telemarketers. No, there's a special other place for them. I'm t- you know, your, your washer's not working and you call and this poor lady, she doesn't know anything. She's just there to take your call. And the next thing you know, you're unloading on her and your ears are red and she doesn't know I'm a Christian. See, s- some of you, like myself, I don't put one of those fish on my car. Rest of the story, unnecessary to tell. How about the atheist that you work with? How about the widow across the street from you? Do the people in your life, whether they be intimate and this close to you or removed, do they know of the hope that you have? Because if that hope means all that you and I believe that it does and they're walking through this life without it, they need to see it demonstrated. They need to hear of it spoken. We may not enjoy our repeating ourselves, but this is worth repeating. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we desire and we pray and we ask that you would work in us, that our lives would reflect what Paul says is excellent and profitable for all people. Lord, your people living out the hope that we have. This will transform the world. This will bring your kingdom. So Holy Spirit, we pray for a few moments that you would speak to us. Lord, is there an issue that we have this morning with those you've placed over us? Lord, do we need to repent of authority issues? Lord, would you remind us of where we once were? That all of us like sheep have gone astray. Lord, would you refresh our vision for living lives so intentionally focused on the hope and the joy and the peace that you have given us being poured out of our lives into the lives of others.
In just a moment, as we respond to the Lord in song, I want to encourage you, if you need to come to the foot of the cross or to the steps and pray, uh, please come. If you're here this morning and you have never personally met Jesus Christ, never put your faith and trust in Him as Lord and Savior, some of our pastors Elders and leaders will be in the back of the room near the tables. They would love to talk with you and pray with you. Lord, we pray in these moments that you would be honored and glorified and lifted up. And that our hearts and minds and lives would be transformed in the process. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.